Business has always been about turning a profit, making money. But can it stand for something more? Something beyond dollars and cents? We think so. We think that today, business has a higher calling, a purpose to be fair and just, to do right by their workers, customers, communities, and the environment. And it turns out companies successful doing that also do better for their bottom line. When you see the Just Capital seal, it means this company is a force for good. Visit JustCapital.com to learn more. I'm John Wilkerson with Jimmy Hyams, and on Tuesdays, that means it's time for Vince's Views. And, of course, we get those thanks to our friends at Waters Equipment. We get those every day of the week, whether we want them or not, but they're really special between 4 and 5 on Tuesday on Sports Talk. So, Vince Ferrara, who will be a part of the baseball broadcast later tonight as Tennessee plays host to Bellarmine. Vince Ferrara, how are you this afternoon as we uh, wait for him to get his headset ready? And there we go. How are you, Vince Ferrara? I'm good, John. How are you doing? Doing swell. And if you want to join the conversation, 865-656-9900. That's 865-656-9900. Outside the area, toll-free, 866-656-9900. Vince, Tennessee picks up a big-time commitment from arguably the top prospect in the state. What did you think in terms of picking up an edge rusher outside linebacker? Yeah, uh, Elijah Herring. And obviously with his, well, Elijah uh, Herring's uh, younger brother, I Correct. should say. But with with him on board, I, it's not surprising that uh, Caleb, Caleb, yeah. Yeah, Caleb uh, committed to Tennessee. Uh, it's kind of been talked about and speculated. I, I think the, obviously he's the second highest rated in that class behind Nico Maliava, and it filled the need position. He's highly rated. He's a top prospect in the state, so you check, check, check all those things. I also think it shows the continued improvement in in-state recruiting because that's now five of the commitments of the eight for the 2023 class that are in-state. And Herring is highly, you know, as highly rated as any of them. Picked up Trevor Duncan from Catholic yep. uh, just a couple, two, three days ago. And, and so, yes, there's more elite prospects to, to uh, get commitments from, but it's a lot more in terms of numbers and progress. You can see they're, they're getting there in terms of, uh, of in-state recruits. But this is a kid. They love uh, Elijah and talking about similar type of makeup. Not the exact type of position because he's an edge versus uh, Elijah playing, you know, a number of those linebacker positions, including inside. But uh, he's got he's got all the tools that Tennessee wants, and I, I think it's a terrific gift for for the Vols. And what's interesting to me, Vince, and you touched on the number of in-state, but uh, you you think that uh, Nico is yeah, going Maliava. to be the pied? <laughs> hey, leave it. Hey, I'm talking. Okay. <laughs> so you think Nico <clears throat> is going to be the pied piper? Uh, but I don't know that he's had a huge impact on these in-state commits. Do you? I think they might have got him anyway. Not on the in-state, but I, I saw Chad Simmons, who's one of the national uh, national analysts for one of the recruiting sites, and it, he was talking about all the work that Nico is doing in terms of recruiting and, and trying to get Tennessee more on their radar. That That's where I think you could see some of the early work. I don't think any of the commits you tie – back to Nico just yet. But I do think he's doing work with some of those elite guys that now are giving Tennessee either consideration or even more consideration. I think maybe as time goes on, the summer goes on, uh, uh, 
things like that, you'll start to see some of those commitments pay off a little bit more that you could connect the dots back to Nico. Any idea how many more in-state players you think Tennessee might land? There's still the running back at Carnes, Sean Bishop. There are others they're looking at. Any, any idea how many more Tennessee might get? Well, I I would be surprised if they don't get Deshaun uh, Deshaun Bishop. Right. So I, I think I think Tennessee's in a good spot for him. Uh, after that, it's probably a little bit more up in the air. I, I'd say they're they're probably going to get a few more. So I'd say in that two to three range. But there's you know some some of the you know some of the elite prospects that they're still looking at, including the ones that will probably be connected to Nico are going to be out of state, certainly several in Georgia and, and other uh, states around the southeast. But I, I, I would expect them to get a, a few more within the state, probably in that two to three range. Let's go to the phones and check in with Steve. You're on Sports Talk. Hello, Steve. Hey, fellas. Hey. Hey. Uh, looking real interesting, don't you think, Vince, on the line potential of this bunch? Uh, some of them, uh, how good they can be. And also, uh, you know, like we know, when you're recruiting in-state, a lot of times people think that the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. And, you know, I think our players in-state that are committed are all people who could be darn good. And I'm sure you agree with that. Uh, But uh, who do you think in state, off the running back in Carnes, and who else do you think in state? Or some people of the two or three that we might get uh, that you think you have names, or you just think it may work out that way? No, I think it it might work out that way. I, I've I've I don't have the list in front of me, Steve, so I couldn't pull it up. Maybe Jimmy, you have a couple more names within the state, but uh, I'm going off of them being in uh, on some you know final list and. With the work that they've done with a number of kids, but uh, right. I, I don't have any specific names right now. Jimmy, do you right. do you have any? I do not. Yeah. <laughs> Let me ask you this about our last recruit class: the boy from New Jersey, the lineman. Uh, is it true that Ohio State had it offered him uh, and uh, as one of his final teams at the end of the Ohio State? On that somebody, I've heard that. Uh, you know if that's true or not about the what is uh, Jennings is that the name uh, lineman from New Jersey? You you're talking about the current roster? The last yeah the yeah the last class yeah yeah. Uh well let's see the Jeremiah Crawford is from is from there's no, not a I'm Jennings about, uh, defensive lineman from New Jersey oh defensive lineman okay yeah, I may have said offense I didn't mean to uh, okay from New Jersey Jennings just the last name isn't it Jenkins in this past class not the not the one we're doing now in the past one Jason Jenkins okay yeah talk about him a little bit was he offered by Ohio State <laughs> I I'm I'm not sure. I'm striking out with you, Steve. I don't have his oh. offer list in front of me, so I apologize. Yeah. But I, I know some. I know he had a good offer list, but I don't know if Ohio State was included in them. Yeah, he. Uh, yeah. Let's see. It does not show his rivals profile. Does not show Ohio State as a, an offer. He had offer from Boston College, uh, from Missouri, from Pitt, uh, from Syracuse, 
from Virginia Tech, West Virginia. He had scheduled a visit to uh, – he took a visit to Florida. So – but I don't see an offer from the Gators. But anyhow, that's – it says that he had 11 offers and Tennessee was the, the, the school for him. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, well, some of my friends down here that are real, real sharp and they say what they think and, you know, they – talking to me today, and they said, you know, in a couple of years, we could have some real talent on this football team. And I think that's true. And we will see what happens. And uh, I'm just, you know, I'm very, very excited. Of course, obviously, we know, too, that the guy that committed today, that I was fully expected it was going to happen. Just that I didn't know when he was going to commit publicly. Uh, but we will see how it goes. And, uh, well, Steve, I'll, I'll say this about the current offensive line. I, I think they've got they've got their middle line positions pretty solid in terms of starters. I the the those interior offensive linemen. I think what's still up in the air is the tackle positions. And will will Darnell Wright will he stay at right tackle? We practice a lot in the spring with Crawford and Dane Davis and um, and uh, uh, Gerald Mincy getting a look at left tackle. I know Dane Davis missed some time, but I, I think it's probably Crawford and Mincy competing the most at left tackle. But if if they think that maybe a Dane Davis is their best option when healthy, at, at if he's the next best after Darno Wright, then they may move Darno Wright back to left. And because those other two guys are probably a little bit more natural left tackles, whereas you saw Wright play there last year, but coaches said that he's a little bit more natural. I think it was Ellerby, Jimmy, that said he's a little bit more natural of a, of a right tackle. Yeah. That's where the coaches are talking about picking your best five. I don't think this team has great depth on the offensive line. I think Addison Nichols is going to be a terrific offensive lineman in the future, how quickly is he going to be ready to be able to step in and play? Not ideal if you have to stick him out on the field this year. That's Vince Ferrara with Jimmy Hyams. I'm John Wilkerson. To join the conversation, 865-656-9900. That's 865-656-9900. Outside the area, toll-free, 866-656-9900. This hour brought to you by Waters Equipment. Jimmy Hyams, I'm John Wilkerson. Our guest, Vince Ferrara, his appearance brought to you by Waters Equipment Company. Why don't we go back to the phones? It's Rocky who's up next. Hello, Rocky. Hey, guys. How you doing? Doing well. Hope you are. Good. Um, I've got a couple of questions. Uh, how fast is herring, and what uh, percentage do you give us getting Carnell Tate, and is there a running back that we can maybe get a hold of? Well, I'll say this on Carnell Tate. I, I think Tennessee has improved its position. He visited Tennessee earlier this month, had good things to say. Uh, I, obviously, Tennessee is even looking at that position in the uh, in the transfer portal. But uh, an elite talent like that, it, it, he's a guy that similar kind of what we were talking about before. I think his position has been with or his consideration of Tennessee has increased. And I think that's a that's the Nico effect on one kid there with Carnell Tate. So, uh, IMG Academy, high level you know program in terms of the talent he's around. 
Jimmy, I think I think Tennessee is in an improved position and has, uh, I think, a pretty decent chance to, to land Carnell Tate. Yeah, I do too. Uh, and I think he has a really good relationship uh, with Nico. So I, I think that does help. I think he likes the offense. Uh, I think he sees an opportunity to play. Even though Tennessee brought in four true freshmen, you don't know how good they're going to be. So uh, And Tate's a five-star, right? So yep. I, um, I think Tennessee is in good position to get him. And then in terms of speed for Elijah Herring, I, I've seen that he has really good speed off the edge. Like if you're talking about a, a 40 time, I have not seen that in any of the stories about him. But I know he has, one, really good speed, but two, really good athleticism. The thing about him is his first step from the scouts that I've read about him. And then when you watch him on, on tape, that's pretty evident. He's also improved uh here recently uh and you know clicks in a lot of times a junior year for for some guys so uh you know he's he's a guy that is is a speed rusher and that's what tennessee's looking for but i don't have an exact 40 time from you that that i've read on the kid but he fits the bill what you're looking for rocky we sure do appreciate it if you want to join us, 865-656-9900. That's 865-656-9900. Outside the area, toll-free, 866-656-9900. And, uh, Vince, we just spoke with a couple of NFL players uh, last hour, but the, the draft is right around the corner. And Jimmy highlighted earlier that uh, you've got McShay and Kuyper that both, uh, as they went back and forth putting their first – three-round mock together um they alternated picks but Kuiper had both uh Matthew Butler going first in the third round and then followed quickly by Valus Jones Jr. what do you think in terms of the uh, draft prospects for the Tennessee Quartet or more I think that's a Jimmy Himes versus Vince Ferrara battle on who gets <laughs> drafted first that's right the smoothie king's on the line <laughs> yeah it, it, I don't, you, Matthew, though he's delivered those to you. I don't. What do I get for picking him as my first of all to be drafted? I, I, I love it. I think third, fourth round is when you're gonna. You know, third round is when I think any of these guys will first start to be on the radar. Where if you're paying attention and you want to do other things during the draft because you're only thinking about Tennessee, that's when you. Uh, can kind of start locking in is in that third round looking for Vols. So um, I, I, I think, I think both of those guys have had excellent off seasons. I think Matthew Butler, and I've, I've said this, I scouts really like him, his motor, uh, his uh, durability, uh, how he's been able to, you know, take on double teams his character i think the interview process it is is only a positive when people get to hear the intellect um and the character of a matthew butler and also i I think i think nfl teams are going to like his seriousness uh, about the game of football nfl man they want to know that you love the game right i mean we hear questions about prospects does this guy love the game and I think Matthew Butler shows you when you talk to him that he loves the game. And he's only – and he's shown that when he's had to de- balance school and other things. When that's just what he has to do, 
and you know he's he's not gonna you know go get into antics and uh, antics off the field and get into trouble and stuff. I mean, he's a low worry, high character guy that people are always coveting. Those linemen, they don't have to get uh, an all pro in those middle rounds. They have to. They want to get a guy that's gonna stick. And you make your draft a lot of times with those middle round pick so Bayless has has had an excellent off season too with the speed that he showed so uh you know i i think i think both of those guys will those would probably be one two in terms of where they go because there is a little bit more consistency i think in what teams think about them versus an alante taylor where i think you're going to get more of a wide ranging opinion uh on him and then you know Cade mays i think you may get some different opinion but Cade mays probably not too far behind those other two uh, in terms of when they'll get drafted. He's certainly another consideration for a potential third round. Let's go back to the phones and talk to Jay. You're on Sports Talk. Hello, Jay. Hey, guys. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Um, I was listening to Brent Hubbs and Austin Price talk about scheduling and kind of maybe future scheduling and you know, I thought Austin brought up a good point because he was saying that, you know, to really benefit Tennessee is, even though the traditionalists may not like it, is to get Alabama off your schedule as a non as a permanent crossover. And I used to not be in favor of that. I am now. I am in favor of that considering just the sheer dominance that Nick Saban shows. And, uh, you know, Georgia gets Auburn. Auburn has ups and downs. Florida gets LSU, LSU has ups and downs, but Alabama's just there. They're, they don't go anywhere with Saban. And do you think with this new scheduling with Oklahoma and Texas coming in, do you see it just they're going to add a team or two to the West? Do you think we're going to pods? And do you see Tennessee's schedule getting shaken up significantly with maybe we don't play Alabama uh, every single year. Well, what do y'all think about that? Yeah, I think you start with maybe because we have no idea. They, this has been uh, – I, I think, Jimmy, it might be easier to get into Fort Knox than to figure out exactly where the SEC might be leaning, <laughs> uh, whether it be pods or just tacking on or, 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 or shifting perhaps because we heard, hey, what about moving Alabama and Auburn to the Eastern Division and then just have Texas-Oklahoma go into the West if you stay with a two-division alignment. So – it's any number of things, and uh, and I wonder whether or not when you go to the spring meetings, whether or not there'll be any more, anything closer to clarification as to what they might even be considering. I'm sure they'll ask my opinion. <laughs> uh, <laughs> here, here's what I would do. I would move Alabama and Auburn to the east because you're keeping the Tennessee-Alabama and you're keeping Georgia-Auburn. I would have Oklahoma and Texas in the west, and I would play nine games. And... People say, oh, they're not going to play nine. Maybe they won't, but they play nine games in the Big Ten, right? There are other conferences that play nine-game schedules. Is that a little bit awkward? Yes. But, look, there's nobody scheduling the SEC that's completely even now as it is. So, yeah, there are going to be some years where you got five at home and, and, and four on the road. I get that. But that would be what I would suggest. I don't like the pods because I think there's too many opportunity to have a four-way tie for first place or a five-way tie for second place. And who's going to break the tie? Some committee? I don't like that. I'd rather that be determined on the field. So I'm in favor of divisions and adding one more game to the conference schedule. That's what about you, Vince? Well, Sorry. Generally, I, I like that 
uh, approach the nine games. But, Jimmy, the reason why I know other conferences do it, but the SEC isn't doing it isn't doing it for because other conferences are doing it because they feel like their conference is tougher. So same number of games. So now we're making it even harder for ourselves when we always get, we're not always, but often get two teams in and, and it, every system you can imagine for a playoff, the SEC is going to prosper. Now you're going to make it more difficult to maybe take that advantage away. So I, I think, I think the SEC, however they do it, they're still going to think, Big picture, what's our best avenue to get to the maximum number of teams in the college football playoff rather than fairness within the conference, tradition? They're going to try to keep those things in line too, but the money will rule, I think, in whatever they do. The, the one thing I do like about a pod system is it, I, I like the opportunity to maybe be able to spread the wealth in terms of rotating teams you play in the league more frequently so players can get a better opportunity to see different teams, see different venues. It'll be harder with two more teams, yep. but I do like that. Uh, and, and I personally wouldn't worry about, hey, we got to avoid Alabama or however we do it. Um, Nick Saban is not going to coach till he's 90. So sure, <laughs> yeah. Sources close to the situation say <laughs> they're going to uh, download his brain into a computer <laughs> right. in Tuscaloosa. They're already working on that, don't you know? This is true. Then Tom Brady will go back and be his quarterback. <laughs> so yeah, and of course that's just trying to get football solved. Right. Which for many, that's where the conversation starts, and rightly so. But there's even more to consider when you look beyond, because all right. Are you going to go 16 teams top to bottom when it comes to women's basketball and men's basketball? Uh, exactly how do you keep it for softball? Or I mean, you can just go in so many different – it really is going to be something to see exactly what the lay of the land is, how conference scheduling is done, first for football, and then it's also going to be really compelling, Vince, for everything else when it spreads out beyond that. No doubt. And look, there's going to be some sports that it's going to be ridiculous in how much they're having to travel and not play teams that they're used to. And it's going to be really inconvenient for a lot of those Olympic sports. But ultimately, those decisions are not going to be made for them. They're just going to have to kind of work around them and massage it to where it seems like they have their best interest in mind. And I'm sure they don't want to make it bad for them. But this is about the major money to be made in the playoffs, first and foremost. Vince's Views brought to you by Waters Equipment Company. As you listen to Sports Talk, to join the conversation, 865-656-9900. That's 865-656-9900 outside the area. Toll free, 866-656-9900. Let's go back to the phones. It's J.D. who's up next. Hello, J.D. Hello. Hi. Uh, I'm just uh, wondering... uh... I have no idea how the recruiting process works now, and I wonder if y'all have a step by step the way you think it works. When, uh, you know, when when does the NIL come into the picture? I know they don't show up with the coaches when re, when recruits show up. Does the, are they handed a list of recruits by the University of Tennessee, or is the player uh, obligated to do that himself? Do you have a clue how all that works together? My guess is there's a whole lot of variation that goes on. Uh, and, and, Jimmy, you've mentioned this several times. It's, it's not, I mean, by design, 
and not not that everybody's in line with this and not everybody operates this way, but technically the university is not supposed to have a hand in lining up deals for either their players who are on campus, uh, their male and female athletes, and certainly not with, uh, with prospective prospects. But yes. who knows? I mean, there's any number of ways in which this process is playing out. If, if you run a collective, you probably have a pretty good idea who's visiting Tennessee because all you got to do is look on a variety of uh, recruiting services, right? And you can see who they're recruiting, and then that collective can reach out to that athlete and say, hey, if you come here, we believe we can line up a deal for you that will pay you this. And this is what you have to do. you got to make this many appearances, sign this many autographs, etc. So that's the way it's supposed to work. But uh, I'm not saying that's how it's working, but that's the way it's supposed to work, Vince. Yeah, Jimmy, I'll take it a step further. There is no way that the collective is talking to kids that have a, air quote, non-committable offer. So they're not just looking on one of the one of the websites, 24-7 Arrivals, and looking through and seeing the offer list. They know exactly who Tennessee's priority is or any other school uh, that there's that this collective tries to help uh, indirectly. Uh, because then, if they're then they'd be throwing out offers for NIL deals to kids that the school doesn't want to get. So how does that work? If they don't come, they don't get anything. <laughs> so um, I, yeah, that's true. But it on on Tennessee's behalf. The, the point is the collective, even though it's not just not supposed to be this way. The point is that the collective can help kids get to that school. And yeah. give them opportunities, even though that's not, you know, um, you know, the way in the spirit of it it's supposed to be. But th- that's the reality of it. But they're not going to try to en- enhance it for kids to come to a school that ultimately not viewing those kids as a priority. So through back channels indirectly, the collectives are the ones that handle the talking about an offering of the the nil opportunities not just deals but opportunities they they know exactly what those schools are are targeting but the schools aren't aren't directly saying hey you're gonna you know this is this is what we can offer you it's it's a little bit more of an indirect. And then another aspect of this, and Vince, you can speak first to it, is as Brent Hubbs joins us on Thursdays, he points out that you've got uh, a handful of states that have already made it legal for high school athletes to get name, image, likeness money. Right. And, and, and there are just more and more states that are coming on board making that a possibility. So that also can impact exactly how the ball gets rolling and when the ball gets rolling and exactly which way the ball might roll. Yeah, it's the it's the state there are a few states that can and can't. That's why the whole there was a whole speculation on who the 8 million dollar player would be because some states you can't get those deals and and uh you know uh and still be in high school. Right, and still be in high school. So uh, I, I that's and so everything is different from school to school. Not every school either has collectives yet or organized collectives. And some mm-hmm. like Tennessee, Nebraska, uh, they're they're a, a seemingly based on the work of David Ubbin and the Athletic and the, the guys that are really covering that you know super closely. Those are the schools that seem to have the best grasp 
on the collectives and having someone that that can really be organized and do it in a in a professional manner and it's a whole new world a lot of us are are still learning about it well i understand and there's there's all kinds of opportunities for the rules to be been or remain silent on them. I, uh the guy that was coming to tennessee and then the, he supposedly got a better offer from the quote collective and went went to texas or wherever it was do you think they barter back and forth uh, with that thing? Uh, uh, or is it, yeah, it's just really strange, you know, how to figure out how that all works. Yeah, I don't, Jimmy. I don't think there's a there's a bidding war. I just think th- this is they probably both presented him with what an opportunity at that school you, you could get, and they they could get for him in terms of an NIL opportunity. And it seemed like Tennessee, because he was committed to Tennessee, so he kind of had a, he kind of knew what Tennessee would do. And then here comes Texas after he had committed, saying, "No, we can do this." Then he changes his commitment, and and there it is. So yeah, um, that you know, it just every situation is different. Yeah, I think it's what you said. So he he tells the Texas collective, "Hey, this is what Tennessee offered. What can you offer?" And they offered more. Right. And I think that's why he's at Texas. Final segment for us. That's me and Jimmy Himes. I'm John Wilkerson with Vince Ferrara. His appearance brought to you by Waters Equipment Company. Let's say hello first to Joe. You're on Sports Talk. Hello, Joe. Hey, guys. I just had a question about Lindsey Nelson. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you think the dimensions are legit or are we uh, fudging a little bit? As far as... 320 down the line, 390 to straightaway center? Yeah. I think they're legit. Do you? Okay. I know, I know there's been some balls that would have been out of Yellowstone hit the last couple of years, but still, but it looks a little close to me. It looks a lot like Yankee Stadium down the right field side. So I just wanted to get your take on it. I think the bullpen wall being lower Give, might give that a little bit of an illusion, John. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, because it is four a four foot fence that's right there in front of it, and the cut out what is normally, I guess, about the eight foot fence. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I. Now the way the ball jumps at times, I mean, and and sometimes it's almost impossible to hit it out. But uh, the way the ball jumps out of here, sometimes I can see where it would give the impression that perhaps. It's not 365 to right center or 385 to left center. And plus, a lot of time the wind blows right to left, so it may not. It's not like you got to you're you're hitting it into a jet stream. In addition to it being small, a lot of times it's working against when you're a left hand hitter and you're hitting it to right. Do you think it's legit, Vince? I do. Um, it, it, obviously, it's not. It, it's not super deep. It's not a pitcher's park but a lot of times it does depend on the on the conditions and and the and the wind what what do you think the uh is in the pipeline for uh the remodel uh are they going to go all the way down the left field line with seats uh like the right field side how are they going to handle that well that's a really good question because i saw before tennessee went to omaha last year um, a number of conceptual drawings as to what it would look like. And it looked like an extension of the grandstand from third base on down to the left field line, uh, which would then uh, just kind of stop at the fence. 
and that would be a two-level deal with uh, just like we have in the grandstand where you have a lower level, a concourse, and the upper level. And then atop that left field line section, that would be where you might have some luxury slash VIP seating. Uh, then it would be a greater degree of double-decker in terms of what's beyond the, uh, the left field wall and the porch. Um, and I didn't see anything in regards to, and there's room. It, it comes down to, Vince, you could now take it in a completely different direction and maybe you reshape where the offices are for Tennessee baseball. You could put those under the stadium with how it's going to look in the future. So I, I don't know if that's still the plan that's in place um, because you can also go and extend the grandstand all the way down the right field line to where you're atop the, uh, the hitting structure for the Tennessee team. Which And who knows, they might put a new one over on the left field side as a part of what's underneath those bleachers. There, there really are a number of different ways to approach it, so I don't know what the current plan is, but if it is what I saw last year, it would be primarily the biggest expansion would be down the third base and left field line as well as a double-decker and a, uh, a covered porch area. Yeah, and then the, this wouldn't impact too many of the seats, but the luxury suites, that's a big deal in terms of generating revenue for the university. You got time for one more quick question? Sure. Um, Frank Anderson, when he got tossed the other night, someone said something about pitch tipping. How How is that going on if the pitches are called in by radio? It could be how – yeah, it could be how the, the the pitcher puts his hand on the baseball. And, and I do believe that uh, that's one of the reasons why you saw a, a finger point to what we thought was the third base coach's box, that he wasn't in the third base coach's box. If he's looking at to how whether or not Chase Dolander has two fingers on one seam or if he's going with a split finger or just how he grips the baseball in his glove and he's relaying that, that is how you can tip pitches. Okay. I got you. Thanks, guys. All right. Sure to appreciate it. Thank you, Joe. And Vince Ferrara, sure to appreciate you. Thanks, Sean. Appreciate it. All right. We'll see you later here <laughs> at Lindsey Nelson Stadium. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Let's get into season four, episode three, Facade. People get picked on. I got picked on. But Scabby, Abby, Scabby, the whole school yeah, just I hurt see. me. I felt like it wasn't real. If I may, I want to defend the storytellers. The people who created the show wanted you to feel like these people were the worst people ever. They pretty much said the whole school of Smallville High are bad people. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.